Do you remember the uh, television show Candy Camera? With Alan Funt? It was a it was a reality show that involved hidden cameras filming ordinary people being confronted with unusual situations. On one occasion, a major university was working with Candid Camera to conduct some psychological experiments on the power of persuasion and conformity. It was a scientific study, but it was also very entertaining. In one particular episode, actors were seated in the waiting room of a doctor's office. And all the actors were wearing nothing but their underwear. In this study, they wanted to see what unsuspecting patients would do when they walked in and saw everyone already undressed. Again, this is a doctor's office. They were surprised that most of the unsuspecting patients entered the waiting room, checked in with reception, looked around, and without a word, started stripping down to their underwear. People don't want to be different, at least in a weird way. It's easier to conform and to follow the crowd and to do what others are doing, like taking off your clothes in a waiting room. But there comes a time when we have to go against the flow. There comes a time when we must take a stand when no one else will. And this morning we are going to see three young men take a stand when everyone else falls. That's what this next story is about in the book of Daniel. Now before we begin, let me set this up. If you remember from last week, in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing, reoccurring dream. He lost sleep over it. But fortunately for him, his dream and its interpretation was revealed by God to Daniel. In his dream, 
the king and Daniel saw this colossal statue in the form of a human. And it was made of various types of metal from top to bottom until it came to the feet which was mixed with both iron and clay. Remember this. In his interpretation, Daniel told the king that these medals of the statue represented the empires who will rule the known world one after another. And it all started with Nebuchadnezzar. In this dream, he represented the head of gold. Well, apparently, this went to the king's head. And he became more impressed with himself. And after several years had passed, Being merely the head of gold just wasn't good enough. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and we will begin with verse 1. This is a story many of you know. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width, six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura, in the providence of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges. Let me take a breath. Okay, the magistrates and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, I think these last three are stringed instruments like like harps, various types of harps, bagpipe, And all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But 
Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Nebuchadnezzar was not satisfied with just being the head of gold. He wants to be the whole thing. And so he erects an image which represents his empire. An empire in his mind, in his mind, that will have no end. We are told this image was 60 cubits in height, which equates to 90 feet. That's nine stories high. Nine stories And it's six cubits in width, which is only nine feet wide. Yes. So if you can picture it, it's very tall and very slender. Very tall and very slender. Now, I don't know if it's something like the Washington Monument... Or a very distorted image of the king himself. No one really knows for sure. But it must have been an awesome sight because it is made of gold. Maybe it's solid gold. Or maybe it's wood overlaid with gold. But whatever the case, it's a lot of gold. And as it shimmers in the sun, seen from miles away, it screams, Nebuchadnezzar forever. Daniel tells us this image was erected on the plain of Dura. A flat area out in the desert, which is thought to be six miles southeast of the city of Babylon. And I say that because back in the 1800s, archaeologists discovered a large brick pedestal that was 20 feet high and 45 feet square, which they believed served as the base for this golden image. So with this image set up in the desert, Nebuchadnezzar summons the who's who throughout his empire. The government officials, the judicial and civic leaders, the military commanders, the dignitaries, 
Those with any kind of influence were commanded to attend a ceremony to dedicate the image and to demonstrate their allegiance to the king. There were likely thousands of people in attendance, but Daniel was not among them. In his role as a ruler in Babylon, he was likely sent elsewhere to another country by the king. So he's not there. Anyway, at this ceremony, it is proclaimed that when the band played, all the people were to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Since no God was mentioned that was associated with this image, and they worship many gods, it would appear that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to start something new to unite his people. Now at this ceremony, it was also clearly explained That if anyone did not conform and fall down and worship the golden image, the penalty was sudden death. Specifically, they would be cast in a furnace of blazing fire. In essence, it's bow or burn. That's it. There's the options. It's bow or burn. Well, you know the story. The band played. And on cue, thousands of people fall to the ground just like they were told to do. Everyone bowed down to the golden image. Everyone except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They alone were left standing. They were Daniel's friends. They were left standing amongst thousands in attendance. Surely these three stood out for standing up. But apparently the king did not notice them. But others most certainly did. And that brings us to verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. 
There are certain Jews uh, whom you have appointed over the administration of the providence of Babylon. Namely, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. That's a lie. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now that's the truth. The Chaldeans who were among the king's wise men, if you remember from last week, took notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not fall down to the ground before the golden image like all the rest. And they informed the king. Undoubtedly, there was some deep-seated resentment against these three young Jewish men. These captives of Judah. These foreigners who were placed in positions of authority in Babylon. They stuck out like sore thumbs to the Chaldeans who were more than happy to accuse these Jews of dishonoring the king even though he had promoted them. Failing to serve his gods and refusing to worship the golden image that he had set up. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't believe what he was hearing. It was humiliating to hear this occurred in public before thousands of people. His reputation was at stake. And so beginning with verse 13, the king reacts. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, To fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the furnace of a fire, of of furnace of a blazing fire. And what God, this is good, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But 
even if he does not. Even if he does not. Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar knows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He knows these guys. He likes these guys. They have been sterling in their duties. And surely, and surely, their failure to fall and worship this golden image was just an oversight. Just an oversight. A misunderstanding on their part. That has to be it. That has to be it. And so he gives them a second chance. Which is surprising for this king. The king tells these three young Jewish men. The band is going to play again. Okay? The band is going to play again. And once you hear the music, you need to fall. And worship the golden image like everyone else. But if you don't, you will be tossed into the furnace of blazing fire. And even though your God can reveal mysteries and dreams, even though your God can do that, there is no God who can deliver you from my hands. No God has the power to deliver you from my hands. So the king is very clear with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in turn, they are just as clear with him. They tell the king, without disrespect, O king, we're not anxious about this at all. We don't need to discuss it amongst ourselves. We don't need to weigh our options. For us, the matter is settled. And we will do the right thing by our God. We will not fall down and worship the golden image which you have set up. Our lives are in the hands of the one true God who is more than able to deliver us. And if for some reason he does not... If for some reason he does not, we are still devoted to him no matter what. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made no attempt to defend themselves or give excuses. Instead, they respectfully proclaimed that their God can deliver them from the fire. 
But even if he chooses not to, they would still honor God. Not for what God does or does not do, but because of who he is. They had no doubt in God's ability to deliver them. No doubt. But they also understood that God's plans may be different from theirs. They understood that God's plans may be different from theirs. And their lives were totally in his hands and not the hands of the king. Whatever God did or did not do was entirely up to God. For he is sovereign. He has a purpose for what he does and does not do. And he can be trusted for he is good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood their ground before the king and the thousands in attendance. And they refused to take advantage of this second chance to fall down. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was already furious with them. But now he completely loses his mind. Look at what happens beginning with verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and in the other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was, had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. This is pretty self-explanatory. Out of blind rage before thousands who were watching Orders are given to increase the heat in this smelting furnace. You have a picture of it. That was right there on site. It was probably used to create the golden image. The furnace was a huge pot-bellied structure with a large opening at the top that served as a chimney. 
and a side door at the bottom for adding fuel and taking out metal. The king then ordered some of his best soldiers to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't even bother to strip them naked as was the custom for criminals. And then drop them down the chimney into the furnace. We're told the furnace was so hot that the soldiers who tossed the three young men into it were killed by the intense heat. And that should be the end of the story. For if the soldiers were burned to a crisp and died on the spot, then surely the king and his officials who are watching through the bottom opening of the furnace would witness an instant cremation. Instant cremation. Well, it's not the end of the story. In fact, it's just getting good. Let's continue beginning with verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around them and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was a hair on their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. The king apparently had a great view and he could not believe what his eyes were seeing. Everyone expected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be engulfed in flames and burned to a cinder like charcoal. But here they are walking around cool as cucumbers and the only thing burned up was the bonds they were tied up with. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing well. They were just out for a Sunday stroll, walking on the coals in the fire, in no hurry to come out. And oh, by the way, 
They had company. A fourth had joined them. We're not told who this fourth was. We're not told. But Nebuchadnezzar describes him like a son of the gods. Which is another word for a divine heavenly being. That's what that means. A divine heavenly being. From this passage, the identity of this fourth cannot be determined. However, some suggest this was an angel sent from God, while others believe this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ before his virgin birth in Bethlehem. There are several times in the Old Testament Where it is believed that Jesus, who may have been referred to as the angel of the Lord. Not an angel of the Lord, but the. The angel of the Lord on rare occasions appeared to people. That is what some believe. But whoever it is here in the flames... Whether it was Jesus or an angel, we don't know. But one thing we know for sure, there was another in the fire. There was another in the fire who brought the presence of God. That's what's important Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not alone. And I also need to point out the obvious. God did not deliver them from the fire. Instead, He delivered them in the fire. God did not deliver them from the fire. And that's what we typically want. But instead, for their sake and the sake of others, According to his greater purpose and plan, he delivered them in the fire. Well, surprise, surprise. The king's tone completely changes. And he acknowledges... That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve the Most High God. 
in the king's mind, their God is on top of the heap. And he tells the three to come out of the furnace. And they do. Completely unharmed. From head to toe. Not even a sunburn. Then beginning with verse 28. The king has something to say before the masses. Remember, there are thousands in attendance. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. Violating the king's command... And yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. We, he can't get past that. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the providence of Babylon. If you recall back in verse 15, the king's question was, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? That was his question. And now the king gets his answer. Only because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God no matter what. And were willing to stand up for what they believed. In violation of the king's command, they stood when everyone else was persuaded and pressured to fall. They faced the fire, and through it all, God used it to introduce himself to a people who did not know him. David Jeremiah, you might know that name. David Jeremiah was was talking with a couple one day. And he asked them how they came to know Christ. And this was their reply. 
We live next door to a certain couple in our church. And it was at a time when all the factories in our area were shutting down. People were being laid off every day and things were really tough. This particular Christian couple had been without work for over six months. All of their benefits had run out and they were just eking out an existence. We watched them as God literally took away everything they had. We saw them praising the Lord. Having smiles on their faces and never complaining. One night after supper, we were talking about them. And we said, whatever they had, that's what we needed. We went over to their house and they led us to Christ. They saw God in the fire. You and I will probably never face a fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we will certainly experience adversity and hardship and trials in this life. That's our fire. That's our fire. And what God chooses to do or not to do in the fire is entirely up to Him. But whatever happens, we can know there is another in the fire with us. That we can know with certainty. There is another in the fire with us. We are never alone alone, and we can come to know his presence more. To add to that, we should never doubt the goodness and the power and the purpose of God. We can be assured that God has a purpose for our fire. Maybe the purpose is to refine us. Maybe the purpose is to liberate us from the bonds of doubt that bind us. Or maybe the purpose is to reveal our true character. Fire has a way of doing that. Or unbeknownst to us, maybe there is something much greater at stake which hangs in the balance. Maybe it's a person who watches 
our faithfulness into fire. Maybe that's what it is. And it's surely something to think about. There is another in the fire. Let's pray. Father, I love this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know we will never hear of them again after this story. They're not mentioned again. But boy, this story still resonates even today. Thank you for the truth that you are in the fire with us. You are sovereign. You are good. You have a purpose for what you do. And we can trust you. Father, help us to trust you. Despite our circumstances, despite the fire we may be in, help us to look for you. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in... uh, in Sunday school, the story of of Joseph came up. I love that story. It might be my favorite story in the Bible. <clears throat> Joseph was tossed in a well by his own brothers. They sold him into slavery. He was taken to Egypt. He was sold to a a military commander. Apparently Joseph was a looker and the commander's wife had an eye for Joseph. She put the moves on Joseph. Joseph got the heck out of there. But she falsely accused Joseph of trying to sexually assault her. And Joseph was thrown into prison until he was later released and eventually became the number two man in all of Egypt. He went from a pit to a prison to a palace. And I love this story because every time something terrible and unfair happened to Joseph, You would see the words, but God was with him. Powerful words. 
Joseph was thrown in the fire. But God was with him. <coughs> As your pastor, I know that many of you are either facing the fire, you are in the fire, or you're just coming out of the fire. I know that. Fire's hard. But God is good. And he has a purpose for what he does. He always does. He has a purpose for what he does, and it is for the greater good. Ultimately, ultimately, to conform us into the image of his son. To make us more like Jesus. That's what he does. And you are not alone. There is another in the fire with you. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you can trust him. Even in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know him. How can you trust someone you don't know? Right? If you don't know him, I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you join us. Or maybe you're in a fire. You just need some prayer. I would love to pray with you. Whatever the case may be, I just ask you to respond to him. To the one who loves you. Just respond to him.